You're live with Get Connected. Mike Agarbo here. We are Canada's number one uh, radio show dedicated to technology. Trying to make it a little uh, easier to understand. We've got a great program uh, today for you. Uh, later on, we'll be talking about uh, the CRTC. Canadian government uh, looking to make the online streamers pay for Canadian content. The major broadcasters do, and now they're going after the Netflixes of the world. And as you can imagine, they are not happy about it. Netflix doesn't want to pay well, we'll get down into the weeds uh, on that. We'll also be talking about how to uh, up your skills when it comes to AI. I think uh, a lot of people are always looking uh, to uh, get a better job. Well, there are different courses you can take, and we'll uh, talk with the folks at Amazon on some free ones that can get you started. And finally, winter tire tech. Yes, I think we all know we need winter tires in Canada, but why? What's the difference with the tires, and why is it more important to have a winter tire, and what is the different, uh, I guess, materials in there and the tread. I think once you understand that, I think you'll appreciate uh, why you should do this, especially in Western Canada, because we don't seem to ever put our winter tires on. I've got my good friend Carmi Levy with me today out of Toronto. Thanks for joining me, Carmi. Great to be here, Mike. You know, winter tires, I grew up in Montreal, and uh, they don't mess around. The government forces you to put winter tires on. You're not even allowed to be on the road if you don't have them, and I understand why it's the scariest thing in the world is driving with tires that are inadequate in the middle of a winter storm. Not fun at all. Well, inadequate would describe Vancouver when it comes to winter <laughs> tire. Like, I, you know, I, I know so many people that just don't. Maybe around February, March, they're like, yeah, I should probably get some winter tires on. But uh, I know in like Ontario and Quebec, 100%, like, you know, they are ready. They are ready for the season. But here in Vancouver, uh, anytime anyone thinks about it, it's the first major snowstorm when, you know, chaos ensues because no one's got oh, winter tires Not on. fun. Everyone should, you know, maybe take a spin into a snowbank at least once to understand what that feels like. Uh, that'll learn them. Uh, honestly, no, this is the not, technology I will not give up on with my car every year. Got to make the change. No, that'll happen in Vancouver, but no, they won't learn. <laughs> I don't know why. Let's get into some of the tech news, uh, Carmi, and I think this is uh, probably the most important uh, tech news item this week. KISS, the band, is... Uh, debuting immortal digital avatars. It looks like they're going to stop touring physically and they've uh, created digital avatars to go fully virtual. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Thank God. (laughs) Well, they're getting on in years, right? They're in their, what, 70s, I think. And they've been been touring and putting out music for 40 plus years. I mean, this is a generational band. At some point, you just can't do it anymore. I know we marvel at the Rolling Stones, but at some point, they're also going to have to retire. And so what they've done is they've partnered with this company called Pop House Entertainment. Uh, And Pop House Entertainment, we may not have heard of them, but they're already working with ABBA on something similar. They created a digital version of ABBA, uh, and and they call it the ABBA Voyage Show. And it's it's touring, uh, and it's making them $2 million every week. So clearly it's profitable and clearly fans like this and they are now saying that at the end of their their latest two or four years they just closed out at madison square garden uh, they put up a video on stage toward the end showing that essentially they're doing the same thing and so they'll create these digital avatars of them and then those digital avatars will go on tour and and of course the real members will probably be sitting poolside somewhere uh collecting royalties from this <laughs> counting and their money cr- <laughs> exactly but you know what hey and 
I, I we had this similar discussion when we went to see um, um, Taylor Swift with her with her Eras movie, uh, and a lot of people are going, well, you know, why wouldn't you just go to the concert? I'm like, well, because a uh, concert tickets aren't available to everyone, and b, uh, you know, it, it this is an experience too. It's a different kind of experience. It's not an in person concert, but you know what? Do you have fun? Do you dance? Do you do you get into it? I think for most fans, it's it's a digital era experience of a, a beloved band. There's nothing wrong with that. And the difference here is that the band has signed off on it. They're giving their permission. They're an integral part of it. This isn't somebody ripping off their intellectual property. This is you know Paul Stanley and uh, and Gene Simmons and and crew basically saying we can't do this anymore. We're too old, but we still want people to enjoy our stuff. There's a digital answer to this, and I'm thinking that's kind of cool. Little they'll live on. Why not? Let's move on to Netflix uh, now, Carmi. Netflix uh, looks like the government with the Online Streaming Act wants the streamers to pay more money for Canadian content. Netflix is uh, pushing back saying, whoa, 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 we already spend gazillions of dollars on creating content in Canada, and they're not wrong. They uh, have major service productions happening uh, throughout the country, especially in Vancouver and Toronto, uh, mm-hmm. because they... They get a great deal. The exchange rate plus all the Canadian uh, government tax incentives to get them up here. It's almost like 50 cents on the dollar in many cases. Uh, But I think what they're missing is that the Canadian government wants the money to go towards Canadian content, not, uh, you know, the latest uh, American series or blockbuster movie. Exactly. They don't just want a movie filmed north of the border because it's cheap and then that becomes global content. They want to tell Canadian stories by Canadian artists using Canadian production professionals. That's CanCon. And that this goes back to the early days of radio when the government stepped in and through the CRTC mandated that Canadian content would receive radio airplay. And thus an entire industry was born. I don't think anyone can argue with how successful that has been. Same thing with television and film. And so traditional broadcast traditional content producers have been subject to these rules for generations. In the digital era, the government just wants to make sure that these streaming platforms are on the hook for that. So sure, Netflix was has spent, it says, $5 billion over the last five years. Uh, it, it has uh, employed 800 people uh, on these productions in that time frame, and that's all laudable. But the thing is, if you don't have a law like the Online Streaming Act, which used to be known as Bill C-11, if you don't have a law in place like that, then as soon as the the uh, the exchange rate, for example, uh, shifts uh, as soon as economic conditions change. Guess what? That that five billion dollars starts going to some other country because there's no law that compels them to be active in this market. So having a law in place requires streamers to to basically adhere to similar rules as everyone else has. The government wants to ensure that Canadian stories get told. The government wants to ensure that everyone who's producing those Canadian stories and making money off of them uh, has a stake in the industry here. Don't just come and sell subscriptions, take all all those profits and disappear. You're part of the industry. You should contribute back to it no matter what the economic conditions are. So they're saying, eh, you know, we don't want to spend it. We're already, uh, but you know, the government is essentially saying, no, you have to uh, and Netflix ultimately will they're just whining a little bit because they don't like when you know they have to pay something they didn't previously have to wow a corporation that doesn't want to spend extra money on imagine that yeah crazy okay we got a lot more to talk about uh, later on also we're going to be talking about Google's new AI yes they have a new AI we'll tell you what that's all about and uh, you know with some additional uh, stories about Doritos and AI which again I think is a very important 
newsy topic. Don't forget to enter our contest. Uh, we are giving away a $1,000 smart security system from TELUS. This is a great prize package, two indoor cameras, uh, a doorbell camera, and uh, a few smart light bulbs uh, as well. Plus, we have a secret word at the end of the show that we're going to give you that can get you extra entries into the contest. GetConnectedMedia.com is the place to go. We'll be back after this. You're back with Get Connected. Mike Hagerbo here. We do have a really cool contest going on right now, giving away $1,000 in smart home security hardware from uh, TELUS uh, Smart Home Security at our website, getconnectedmedia.com. That's everything you need to uh, make your home more secure. And uh, if you want some extra entries, you're going to have to stick around till the end of the program because we do have a secret word uh, for you that will get you extra entries. And uh, we still got a few more uh, segments left as well. We'll be talking about winter tire tech. What's the difference technology-wise between a summer and a winter tire? It's uh, really interesting uh, stuff. And Google has a new AI uh, engine, and we'll uh, tell you what it's uh, all doing. We're going to talk about uh, improving your digital skills. Uh, Always a good uh, thing to do, and especially with all the technology uh, advancing so quickly when it comes to computing, cloud computing, and I think the hot uh, buzzword now, AI. And uh, Amazon Web Services actually has uh, an entire program uh, around this. There's so many different courses that they uh, offer that you can take in a lot of free ones uh, as well. To help us understand all of it, we've got Coral Kennett with us from Amazon Web Services. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think what you guys are doing, it's really cool. Like people can really learn some interesting stuff uh, online and so many different facets. And now you guys are really leaning into AI. Well, not now, but you've been leaning into AI for a while now, artificial intelligence. So uh, people who want to learn more about that can actually take some courses around that online. That's right. Yes. So we've launched our new AI Ready program um, with eight new courses on AI, um, both for technical people uh, as well as non-technical people who are interested in learning more about AI. Um, So really trying to give a lot of options for people who um, are interested and want to learn more. Um, We also have a new scholarship program that we've just launched for students, $12.5 million of scholarships. Um, and then also uh, a partnership with Code.org to do uh, an AI uh, hour of code dance party. And that's for... An AI dance party? AI dance party, yeah. yeah. yeah that's even for um, kids as young as kindergarten can participate in that. So it's really trying to provide lots of different options. Well, what I found interesting, uh, you talked uh, about folks that already have a lot of digital skills, but you also go down right down to the the bottom level for people that just want to get into it and start start learning. So so someone with no experience can get into learning about AI? Absolutely, they can. And one of the things that came out of our recent skills report is that um, employers are really looking for people with AI skills. And one of the areas that they think is going to be the most applicable are, are things like sales and marketing. So, you know, if you're in marketing, you might not think that these AI courses are for you, but but they are because we're really looking for ways to help people understand how they can use AI. What are the use cases? How can you um, use these tools to gain efficiencies in your organization? So it's it's definitely for all kinds of different uh, learners. It's really interesting at how good these courses are. I, I met uh, a woman um, at your reInvent conference. Uh, she was with the Builders Fair, and she made this really cool box for her father who was uh, disabled that he could just push buttons to tell his wife and caregivers uh, how he was feeling because he couldn't speak properly. And so she developed this on her own. 
uh, through the Builders Fair uh, program that uh, Amazon uh, has that uh, encourage uh, their employees to uh, kind of create some some cool stuff. But her background, she used to own a bakery. Mm-hmm. And so she sold her bakery and thought, I really want to get into the digital world. And so she went through the Skill Builder uh, program, just took a bunch of digital, digital courses and now works for Amazon. I love that. Yeah. It's a great story. It, it's so cool. And so when you say uh, anyone can learn these, like, um, do you have to have any digital experience? Does it help? You really don't. I mean, it depends on um, which area you're trying to go into. So we do have a lot of people that have IT backgrounds who are looking to gain different types of IT skills. And so some of the courses that we have really are a bit more of a deep dive into how to code in AI and how to really get into the details. But um, there's so many courses that are more about the business use cases for AI and how to make it fun. And like your story, um, I, I met somebody who had never used any of these tools before, and they got a hold of our Deep Lens, which is a, a camera that has machine learning uh, embedded into it, but it's very easy to start using and playing with. And they used it for their doggy door because they had raccoons that were coming into their yard. So it was to stop uh, stop the raccoons coming in. It would only let it in if it was a dog and not a raccoon. So it was somebody who had never... But isn't, it, but isn't it amazing we're so far advanced now that all these tools are available that you can just kind of create thing, these things just kind of with a bit of training? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we see this all the time because in my area in education, we work with students a lot. So um, one example of that is we have a cloud innovation center at the University of British Columbia. Um, and we have students who come there. They've never used cloud before. They're obviously very smart students, but they don't have experience using AWS and they come, we give them, you know, a week or two of training, of training and then a project to work on. And they go off and build some really, really amazing things very, very quickly. Um, so it's just really enabling them and getting the tools into their hands. And that's that's what we're trying to do with AI Ready as well. Tell me about the scholarships again. Uh, you're giving away like $12 million in scholarships. Absolutely. So we are um, trying to uh, get high school students access to these tools as well. So we have a partnership with Udemy. And they will be able to um, apply for these scholarships. They go into our DeepRacer console, actually, and do some training. So DeepRacer is a a way to get machine learning skills by racing virtual cars. So it's very fun. But then you can race real little... And then you can race real little cars. Yep, that's it, which is even more fun. Um, So they go into the console. They they do some of the um, training courses on machine learning. And at the end of that, they get a certificate where they can go to Udemy, where we have a partnership. So we're um, trying to get 50,000 students access to uh, to these courses through the scholarship fund. It's really uh, amazing stuff there. But that's mostly aimed at kind of younger high school students. High school students, yeah. yeah. Where are you guys going next with this? Uh, I We plan to keep adding more and more courses. So we have a program called Skill Builder, and you can find it at skillbuilder.aws, which has more than 600 courses, actually. So these new courses that we've just launched, the eight new ones, are specific to, to AI. Um, but we are always continuing to add lots and lots more uh, content for people to be able to have access to whatever it is that they're interested in, like cybersecurity or IoT, Internet of Things. Um, really, so many different options, depending on what it is that you're looking for. So we're going to continue to add to that as well as more game-based options um, to make really fun ways for people to start to um, conceptualize how they can use these tools. Yeah, like the course is kind of a game. That's right, yeah, Yeah. like CloudQuest. Yeah, I can wrap my head around around that. But just amazing some of the tools that you guys have come up with. One of them uh, that, you know, came across uh, PartyRock.ai, which is like this web-based 
um, app tool that will just instantly help create a, an AI based app for you. I, I made a, a dog namer, like it just took like one minute. Yeah. And, but it was just so cool how you just kind of went through it and it would just create this kind of thing. So I know a lot of people get scared about all these new techno technologies and especially AI, but um, you got to lean into it. These are new tools and they can do some amazing things. Absolutely. And Party Rock is very cool. And I think it's a great way to get a lot of people access and really starting to think about these new use cases. And that's what I'm most excited about is, um, you know, trying to figure out how are people going to start to use these things and how are they going to transform some of the ways that we live and work and learn and and really start to um, envision the ways that they can they can use them because the technology you know shouldn't be intimidating. I mean, we can we, there's lots of different ways to to build these things, but it's just really what are you going to do with it? And and some of the students that we've worked with come up with really really interesting ideas. So. Well, that's uh, Coral Kennett. I want to thank you for joining us. Where can people find out more information about all these uh, courses? So skillbuilder.aws is the best place to start. That's where you can find all of the different courses that we have. Um, and then also through some of our partners, code.org is where you can find the uh, AI Hour of Code dance party as well. Got to do the dance party. Got to do the dance party. We still have a lot more to talk about today on Get Connected. We will uh, be looking at winter tire tech. Uh, I know we all have to get winter tires, uh, especially here in Canada, but why? Like, what is the difference between a summer tire and a winter tire? Well, we're going to dive into the technology uh, around that with the folks over at Michelin. And we're going to talk about uh, Google's new AI. Yes, they have a new one called Gemini. What does it do? What does it all mean? Well, we'll uh, give you the explanation on that because uh, you will be using it uh, in the future. Don't forget, we have a really cool contest going on right now, giving away $1,000 worth of uh, smart home security, a few cameras, uh, we've got uh, a doorbell camera as well, and uh, we will be giving a secret word away at the end of the program, so you're going to have to stay tuned, and that secret word will get you extra entries into the contest. The contest is at getconnectedmedia.com, so get up there and uh, enter. When we come back from the break, more tech, stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Well, it's that time of year again. Uh, I can't believe it. Uh, we've uh, had Russell Shepard on before from Michelin uh, talking about tire tech. I didn't know how interested people were in tire tech. I got lots of feedback last time you were on, uh, Russell, last year. Uh, we had you recently on again talking about EV tire tech, which was fascinating. But I wanted to just talk about some of the kind of innovations happening uh, when it comes to tires and things like autonomous uh, vehicles and even the internet of things. And then we'll touch a little bit on um, winter tire tech as well, which is always, I think, an important uh, thing to know about here in Canada. Thanks again for joining us, Russell. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be back. So let's just quickly start with uh, some of the innovation happening out there. We're seeing more and more, uh, you know, in uh, the digital world when it comes to things like uh, IoT, which is, stands for the Internet of Things and autonomous vehicles. What do we need to know about tires when it comes to self-driving cars? So tires and self-driving cars, let's kind of walk through tires and IoT. What many consumers may not know is that slowly but surely tires are integrate, integrating RFID. So that's radio frequency ID. And what that does is that allow, allows for the tire to be identi identified electronically. And once you do that, there's some pretty cool things that open up. There's some advantages in logistics, but you, the vehicle has the possibility at that point 
so you know what tires on them. So that that that's one thing that's rolling out for another uh, another uh, for a number of reasons, but it is kind of a precursor to what's possible and what is to come. Because for tires to be important in IoT, the Internet of Everything, in particular, communicate with the car. The first thing the car needs to know is what type of tire it has, and so that that's coming out now. The other thing that Michelin has introduced in small samples in the market and different smaller applications are tires that are truly connected to the vehicle that transmit information, not just identification, um, but other information to the vehicle so that the vehicle can be optimized for its performance. You, you can imagine Michelin has introduced, I think it was about 10 years ago, a vision tire. And you can imagine it would be interesting for the vehicle to know whether it has a winter tire or not in the winter. And and you can imagine that if the vehicle knew what type of tire it has, it could adjust um, the driving style or the safety algorithms based off of that. So there's a couple things there. There is one, identifying a tire which exists. And then there's some other technologies that are coming on the market to help the vehicle know what the state of the tire is. We already have things, tire pressure and tire temperature, but the vision going forward is that that vehicle knows what the tire is, what its what its limits are in terms of traction, even what its wear state is, and can help the vehicle make smart decisions, especially when it's autonomous, and get the most out of that tire and the situation it's in. Well, I guess the, you know, when you, when you talk about self-driving cars, it, it would kind of really need to know what state the tire is in. Cause typically right now we're relying on the human to know that like, oh, I've had this tire for, you know, over a year, uh, I've driven so many kilometers, uh, you know, there's this much wear. Hope, hopefully people have a general <laughs> sense of that. Not everyone, but uh, you know, again, for an autonomous vehicle, that would be, I think, very important from a safety issue. Yeah, so if you think about it, when you drive a car and you get a new car or a new set of tires, you learn, hopefully slowly, but surely the traction limits. You maybe, it's a rainy day and you brake hard and you go, oh, it slid a little bit. That's kind of the limits of the tire. How does the autonomous vehicle know that? It's important that it knows that so that it can fully take advantage of a tire's ability to stop in, in, in wet. So if you've got a, a Michelin X-Ice Snow, it understands that it has um, different capabilities to give us excellent traction in, in winter and wet in winter and ice. Otherwise, the autonomous vehicle has to assume that the tire it has on it is at a minimum state, which is not what you want. So it's going to be important as as autonomy kicks in for the vehicle to know what the state of the road is and what the capabilities of the tire are, tire are in that case. And even some real-time feedback. And that's that's kind of where things are going. Let's uh, kind of bridge over now to winter tire technology. This was a fascinating discussion last year. I want to talk about it again because I think it's important that uh, Canadians know uh, why they <laughs> they need winter tires. I, I think it's kind sure. of obvious, you know, there's different types of uh, tread and, and technology, but let's just uh, kind of give a, a refresher uh, course on that. So why do we need winter tires? Like, why are they different? 
So, sure. So I will start at the opposite end of the spectrum. There's summer tires. And I'll start with a story when I was in tire development. Um, I had a phone call about a, one of our, our summer tires that cracked. And I asked what happened. And essentially, the tire had been left outside in about zero degrees Fahrenheit temperatures. And the point there is for a summer tire, which is really designed for higher temperature, maximum wet and dry traction, it has what's called a glass transition temperature. And when you start to go below that temperature, the tire is no longer elastic. It gets to be more uh, more rigid. And it's it's just not the same type of material that you want. So what you get on the opposite end of that is you have a winter tire that is designed for optimal performance when it's cold. And that's what winter tires do. So when it's cold, zero degrees Fahrenheit, that's when, or, or colder, that's when winter tires are at their best for giving traction on ice and even kind of this wet slushy condition where you maybe have a little uh, wet snow or water on type of ice. So the compounds, the rubber compounds of the tires are designed to operate best at those conditions. The other thing is that winter tires have more sipes and those sipes are designed to dig into the snow and grab them. And that improves your braking on winter conditions, snow, ice, and slush. And so th there's a lot of engineering that goes into tires, particularly optimizing tires for winter conditions. And all that is to make sure that you get the most out of your vehicle, and particularly you have the best chance of safely driving under winter conditions, not just snow, but ice and slush. We're talking with Russell Shepard from uh, Michelin all about uh, winter tire technology, why it's important to actually have different tires depending uh, on the season, especially here in Canada. Uh, Russell, what about these mud and snow tires, um, which seem to be very popular more on the West Coast in, in Vancouver? Are they going to give you the same performance in winter conditions? Uh, they're appealing, uh, I think, for a lot of folks because they don't have to change their tires. You know, they just keep running them all, all year round. So there, there are a couple of types of mud and slow snow tires that I would like to talk about. And I, and I want to distinguish them from the M plus S marking. Uh, so there are all-terrain tires, which are popular on uh, SUVs and pickup trucks. And those tires have a combination of, of rubber compound that functions well in colder conditions. And their tread is such that the tread depth is deep and there's enough open space that it gives you good traction in snow. So there's some design features that work well in mud and snow because your goal there is to kind of push the snow or the mud away from the surface of the road or the, or the ground, get it out of the way, get good traction, and then as you spin, you want it to clean out. Okay. So mud and snow tires, a lot of all-terrain tires, a good example is the BF Goodrich uh, all-terrain KO2. Those give great traction off-road and in winter. There's another category of tires that is for passenger car vehicles, and those are all-weather tires. 
A great example of that is the Michelin Cross Climate too. And those are, again, those are for more for passenger cars. And again, it's a combination of the tire compound, of the compound of the rubber. And Michelin has really worked on this type of technology for about 10, 20 years to optimize the tread to give great braking, both in dry and in winter conditions and in wet. And these were really designed just as it says to give you this all weather performance. And are, are those rated MS, like mud snow? Actually, better than that. They're rated 3 peak mountain snowflake. Okay. So, which means that they're legal to drive in the snow and winter conditions, like you have in Canada. And legal is one thing, but you they're still good. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, Excellent. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, I recommend um, 3 peak uh, things like the Cross Climate, too, for areas where you get occasional snow. Um and I think a good example is in the western part of Canada. Cross Climate 2 is, is a great, great product for the snow that you get in the type of weather that you have. And it also is an excellent for wet conditions. And it has a 60,000-mile warranty. So that, yeah, those are, I recommend them. And we've actually made sure that for Canadian consumers, you can drive them year-round. That's So we designed them and certified them through Heat Mountain Snowflake. Talking with Russell Shepard all about uh, winter tire technology. Russell, as always, I want to thank you for coming on the program. It's always enlightening. My pleasure. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with Get Connected. Got Carmi back uh, with me, Carmi Levy out of Toronto. We're going to talk AI because AI is everywhere uh, now. Uh, Google. Carmi made a big announcement this week. They have a new AI. I don't know what happened to Google Bard. Uh, I think they had too much bad press around that, and they've got a whole new AI with a new name. Well, the good news here is is one doesn't replace the other. So Bard is the chatbot uh, that Google has released that, of course, Canadians still can't have because Google doesn't think Canadians deserve it yet. Um, and But what this is, Gemini is the large language model that powers the chatbot. Yeah, so Gemini is to Bard as GPC-3 or GPT-3.5 is to uh, OpenAI's chat GPT. So basically, it's the underlying technology that gives the chat chatbot and gives other chat tools like an image generator or a video generator or a translation engine, basically any AI app, it's brains. Um, it and it, So it, it can understand things, it understands text, it understands images, it understands videos, uh, audio, uh, code even, uh, and a whole bunch of different things. It's called multimodal. And apparently compared to the technology that underpins ChatGPT, it's, they call it multimodal. They say it's much more sophisticated. It's much closer at emulating uh, human thought, human insight, human analysis, uh, way more than anything OpenAI has released before. So this is crucial for a whole lot of reasons. The one that jumps out at me is that Google plans to basically take Gemini and over the next few months and years, bake it into every product that it sells, including search. So that's pretty significant. Search right now runs on technology that dates back to the late 90s. Uh, they're going to take that and replace it, essentially give it a brain transplant um, called uh, called Google Generative, uh, uh, the Search Generative Experience, or SGE. Um, and so the search that you use, even if you have no interest in AI, it's about to get a major update. It's about to get the ability to have this kind of insight, and you're not even going to have to change your tools. Google's going to change that back end. Gemini is that back end, and it might not seem like a huge announcement, but it's probably the biggest technology announcement we've seen in a few months. 
Are they far behind? You know, we keep hearing about OpenAI and ChatGPT. Uh, everyone's using it. Microsoft's bought into it, right? They've put billions mm -hmm. of dollars into the company. How far behind is Google, do you think? Are they on par? Safe. I would I would say it's safe to say that they are scrambling. They were caught uh, by surprise when OpenAI introduced ChatGPT to the public just over a year ago. November 30th was its birthday. Uh, and so I think what happened is as soon as that that went public, Google basically had an all hands meeting. They called it a code red, where essentially any project that they had uh, in progress was stopped. They they changed every single corporate priority. The mandate and the mantra became AI at all costs. And so they've pivoted the company. They are scrambling to keep up with OpenAI, uh, and I think they're still behind. I don't think Bard is as good um, a, a chatbot as as uh, ChatGPT is. I don't think they're as well integrated into their tools as Microsoft has done with OpenAI's tools. Uh, and I think Google is really trying to get some traction here and is moving very quickly. Uh, you know, does this new technology bring them uh, at, you know, to a, a point of parity? Quite possible. Uh, again, we'll have to get our hands on it. We'll have to see. Google says it's better, but you know, I always take vendor claims with a, a huge grain of salt. So they're saying it's the best large language model on the market. Uh, you know, we'll uh, reserve judgment until we have a chance to actually use it. But if Google's promises are what they say they are, uh, it will be a very compelling alternative. And it will mean that Google has at least narrowed the gap that was pretty significant when ChatGPT first went live. So <laughs> AI, I mean, it's so much to kind of comprehend. And I know, I bet a lot of listeners just have no idea. Will they notice a difference when they're using Google? They will, uh, because right now the the search experience that has is familiar to most of us because we've been using it essentially the same way for decades is you type in a bunch of search terms and then you get back a list of links and then you have to figure out from that list of links which is the one that you're going to click on and then you're going to have to read through all of that content and analyze it, assess it, come up with an answer. Uh, so what AI promises to do is basically change that. In other words, you don't just give it a bunch of search terms you ask it a question you they call them prompts but it's it's like a conversation and then what comes back isn't a list of links it is a synthesized generated new piece of content that explains everything so instead of give me a bunch of links to travel agents because i want to take a flight somewhere it's please plan for me my vacation my summer vacation uh, and it will book all of your flights book your hotel tell your your entire itinerary uh, and set up a, a video chat with you know your with you know the, the person on the ground who's going to be walking you through everything so it takes search and moves it that much further so that you no longer have to just root through a whole bunch of links that's what it promises the flip side is is that we know that ai isn't perfect it still has a tendency to hallucinate or go rogue or even lie so sometimes what you get back from an AI bot isn't exactly what you expect it to be. We're still in the process of sort of figuring out what is legit and what is not. It's still not fully baked. Let's move on to really important uh, AI technology, Doritos. <laughs> There's nothing more important than Doritos to anyone in tech or in gaming from where I sit. So they're using AI to take crunching noise away. Yeah. 
They uh, they were getting feedback from a lot of people. Now, of course, there is a very strong correlation between uh, gaming, the gaming community, and consumption of Doritos. The more video games you play, apparently, the more Doritos that you will consume. I speak from direct experience. My kids, that has been their experience since they first picked up a gaming controller. So what Doritos did was they felt that they should um, they, 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 they should use AI to address this. And so, because of course, nobody wants to be playing games listening to someone else on a game in a you know in a Twitch or a stream uh, crunching on chips. So they created an app. It's called Doritos Silent. And what it is, it's based on AI and it, its mission is to cancel out those chewing noises. So uh, what they did was they trained it. They trained on a, on 500 people crunching on Doritos. And then they, they were able to simulate 5,000 different crunch sounds and they fed them into an AI to essentially train it. So now it's kind of like a very sophisticated form of noise cancellation, but it's targeted on the sounds of crunching chips. Uh, so it can hear the chip. So you can eat a Dorito for as much as you want, but the AI will then cancel it out. The cool thing is it doesn't just work on Doritos. Apparently it also works on you know crunchy vegetables and other foods. And you don't just have to be a gamer to use this. This has applications and who has been on a Zoom call with their colleagues or a Microsoft Teams call uh, or a Google Hangout with their colleagues uh, and someone is busy eating in the middle of a meeting. This will make meetings somewhat more palatable. Uh, you know, uh, again, uh, no one likes video conferences anyway. We'd rather be playing games, but this will work then too. And it will save uh, a lot of workplaces, probably save a whole bunch of marriages as well. <laughs> I'm down for it. Uh, yeah. Is this more of a public publicity scent? Oh, of course it is. Yes, uh, of course it is. And, and you know, so the, and how often have we seen uh, consumer products companies latch on to technology uh, and, you know, issue a fun sounding press release and everyone pays attention. But this really does illustrate a, a significant problem. We thanks to the pandemic, we are all spending far more time in front of webcams, wearing headsets, you know, with microphones and stuff. And we're communicating through uh, these collaborative platforms. And let's face it, we're going to be eating and drinking on them. So the better the technology can can be and if AI can help, then why not to isolate all those little annoyances and make it a little less annoying for us? Uh, I'm all for it. And, you know, let's face it, I've probably consumed more than my fair share of bowls of Doritos over the years. So this will help me too. Okay, we uh, are running out of time here on Get, Connect Get Connected. We do have the uh, Smart Home Security Contest. We've uh, got a $1,000 prize package uh, from the folks at TELUS. Secret word this week, if you want extra ballots, doorbell. Again, uh, it's a $1,000 package. Uh, the doorbell is the secret word. You go to getconnectedmedia.com. You enter that in, you'll get extra entries and uh, hopefully increase your chances of winning it. Again, getconnectedmedia.com. I want to thank uh, Carmi Levy for joining me once again and all the folks that helped put the program together. This is Mike Agarbo and Carmi Levy logging off. We will see you again next time.